0: Hey guys. Hello. Hey guys. I'm sure it'll get louder here soon. I was born with genetics that made me a mumbler, so it's a good thing we have electronics. Anything? No? How about now? Is it on guys? Or Yeah? All right. Sweet. Welcome. If, uh, if I don't know you, I recognize most of you, but if I don't know you, my name's Evan. Yeah. I'm um, really excited to be down here with you guys tonight to uh, just worship God. That's why we're here. Um, it's not to listen to these guys sing, it's not to hear me talk, but it's to present ourselves before our Creator and say, you are our priority. Even for an hour, you are our priority. That's why we're here. Um, before we get into uh, our section on Mark tonight, I kind of want to say two things. Um, First, uh, we have a bit of a community dinner afterwards, so if you're hungry, please stick around, there's some good food. Um, more than anything, the reason we do it is so that way we can uh, just enjoy the company of one another. Um, God's given us each other right here in this place, and this time, he knows we're all here and uh, we can get so much out of one another. Uh, the second thing, if you have kids, um, this Friday, my wife and I are going to be down here from like five-ish until seven, and we'll watch your kids for free. That way you can go out on a date or do whatever you do, um, but a chance to use this facility so that way you can appreciate one another. Um, You'll see in the bulletin kind of a note on how to uh, contact my wife if that's something that interests you guys. Um, Sweet. Wonderful. If you uh, guys don't mind um, just joining me in prayer just one more time just uh, so that way we're focused on where we get our truth. Uh, God, I present my mind and my voice before you right now. Uh, I'm simply here to communicate a truth that you have for us. Um, Spirit, I ask that you would uh, speak to each one of us in ways that you know we need to hear. Um, Please humble us. uh, Help us to worship uh, our Creator just a little bit more. Amen. Awesome. So, three weeks ago, I guess two weeks ago, it's the third week, uh, we started walking through the book of Mark. Um, And it's really easy if you've been in, in the church a long time to think, all right, Mark, it's a gospel. Um, I've read through the other Gospels. It's probably pretty similar to Matthew and Luke and John, you know, just stories about Jesus. But what we have to remember is that each one was written by a different individual. And you may as well call them a historian. And what they did, they either experienced Jesus or they got eyewitnesses of people who did did experience Jesus. And they came and they wrote an account of his life. It's a reason why they're all... Different, slightly. It's the same man's life, but it's written by a different historian. And so how they build the story, how they include certain um, events and sayings, is up to the author's discretion because they're trying to present certain truths. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is guiding these men to present certain truths about Jesus and about this life. And so each of the Gospels is, is far different because of that. And so, in order to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about uh, tonight, I want to look at chapter one, kind of as an overall, from, from kind of a bird's eye view. Um, you know, it's obviously the intro to Jesus and his ministry. Um, and upon arrival, Jesus is a showstopper. Uh, so think about it. And again, read through John one, or excuse me, Mark one. When I'm done, but John the Baptist, who's real popular, paves the way says, there's a man coming that I can't even um, baptize. I have to wash his feet. Jesus is then um, publicly anointed by God in a miraculous way. The heavens tear open, and people see this. He overcomes Satan in the wilderness. The king of darkness is defeated by Jesus. He then gathers committed followers around him, people that believe in him and want to listen to him. So you've got this group of men following Jesus. He shows he has power over demons casting them out left and right, and the ability to heal those who are sick. You know, his fame begins to grow almost immediately. He is quickly overwhelmed by crowds in every town that he enters. Even in the wilderness, when he leaves towns, he's overwhelmed by people from every quarter, every area. They're just flocking to him. You know, really, this is the ideal response of people to their coming Messiah. You know, he is a modern-day rock star. You know, think about Elvis, John Lennon, Jimi Hendrix, Michael Jackson, Britney Spears, Justin Bieber. that hit all the generations in here, right? Somebody must to recognize everybody, right? Or Dr. Phil or Oprah or somebody that has suddenly been stepped into the limelight and just overwhelmed by a positive response by the crowd. And this is what we would want when God sends his son to save the world. But as you read through here, even with a little bit of detail, you see Jesus responds in a different way. He just keeps pushing it away. He commands the unclean spirit and the demons to keep quiet, even though they're professing that he is the Son of God. He leaves a town in which everyone is searching for him. His disciples find him in Mark 1.37. Everyone is searching for you. He answers, let's go to the neighboring town. This is the exact opposite reaction that we would expect from someone who has come to change the world, enrich the lives of everyone in it, and to bring them freedom from their endless bondage. So we have to ask the question, why? Again, looking at the big picture of chapter 1, why did Mark present all of Jesus' fame boiling to such a quick, boil so quickly, and then throw in Jesus' rejection of this over and over throughout the entire Mark. And here's my answer, and we got a slide for it. His focus was not on gaining notoriety, fame, and the approval of the people, but on submitting to God's desires for his life. I'm going to say it one more time. Please think about it. Jesus' focus was not on gaining notoriety, fame, and the approval of the people, but on submitting to God's desires for his life. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, you're probably thinking, well, he was a son of God. He was God himself. He came. Why wouldn't those two things be connected? Why wouldn't he be like a Joel Olstein or Francis Chan or whomever you pick that is bringing truth somewhat, depending on who I pick, bringing truth? Why wouldn't this be a good thing? You know, and I'm going to give you two answers. We're going to roll them out. And we are looking at the life of Jesus, but I promise you we'll get to application here as well. On, the, on one hand, Jesus may be trying to help the people see who he really is. So the reason why he's telling the demons to stay quiet, he's telling the leopard not to spread the word, he's running from these people, is so that they, the people, the crowds, can see who, who he really is. And we've got to understand that the people are fixated on Jesus' ability to heal. That's why they're coming to him. They see a physical need in front of their eyes and discover that Jesus has the ability to instantly take it away, which is true. He did. So they seek out Jesus in order for the immediate need in their lives to be treated, which he can do. You know, the other allure, the reason people are flocking to him is because he has power over the wicked. You know, when the Holy Spirit descended on people, like we see in the Old Testament, uh, people... During Jesus' age, most likely instantly thought of judges like Gideon and Samson. They both received the Holy Spirit. David, Elijah, men who were used by God to defeat the oppressive nations that had conquested Israel. And so they're looking at Jesus as a man who can come in and remove the oppressive rule of Rome. With his growing popularity and displays of power over darkness, the hope of Jesus being a physical warrior and king would have been drawing more and more people to him. Does that kind of make sense? So they're thinking, this is our new king. He is the one that is going to deliver us in the same way that our ancestors experienced the judges and King David and all of these mighty men. You know, both of these thoughts, Jesus as a healer and a conqueror, were true. We see him written out by a historian these things actually took place. However, by simply focusing on Jesus as a quick fix to major physical problems, they were missing out on the real reason he had come. Let's look at a little Bible. So Mark 1, 37 through 39 kind of gives us a little more insight into why Jesus came. When they found him, his disciples, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also. For this is, why I came, this is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. We see right here from Jesus' mouth that his primary role for humanity is not to heal their broken bodies or give them physical freedom and financial prosperity, which he can do and sometimes does. Rather, his role, the reason he came, was to give us victory over what enslaves our souls to give them a total pardon for all times, for the rebellion against our Creator, to give us a restored relationship to our Maker, and to teach us how to live better lives. This is the message that he was proclaiming. It had nothing to do with your broken leg or your hemorrhaging being healed. It had everything to do with your reconnection to the One who created you. He came to breathe life into our souls. You know, Paul writes about it in Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, that's Jesus, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that way we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is why Jesus came. So that way, we could be adopted by the Creator of heaven and earth, could become His Son and His daughter, and then we could receive the very Spirit that He's willing to send into us. Jesus came to reconnect people with their Creator, and all they were concerned with was instant gratification of their immediate need. All right, some application. You know, often we are just like the first century Palestinians. We seek God when life gets hard when our bank accounts are low and when our bodies are hurting, which we should. But we don't come to him far that often to hear what he wants to tell us. We come for our problems to be quickly fixed so that our lives can return to the way that we desire them to be. In doing this, we forget who God is and who we are. We forget that God is our creator. We don't exist without being created. We forget that he is perfect, without flaw, without a single issue that we see is wrong. We forget that he knows everything about our entire lives, nothing excluded. So every event you've been through, every thought you thought of, every passion you've ever had, he knows everything about you. We forget that nothing can happen outside of his will to let it happen. We would not be alive today if God did not want us to be alive. You know, like Steve said in a couple of sermons ago, the day I die is the day God decides. You know, and on, on top of that, we forget that He loves us beyond comparison. We can't compare His love for us with our spouses, with our parents, none of that. It all fails in comparison. On the other side of it, we forget that we are none of these things that we and our understanding of this life are simply a blink of the eye, so incomplete. We forget that we are flawed in our minds and easily controlled by our selfish emotions. We simply want our physical pains removed, our bank accounts increased, and our bosses to be nicer, our children to listen to us. All good things. But that's why we go to God, is so that these things can happen. When we come to God, we rarely do so in order to listen in order to gain the guidance of the all-knowing, all-powerful king of this world. And I think that may have been one of the reasons why Jesus was so aloof, was so they could stop focusing on the instant gratification and realize that he's bringing something bigger. The second thing, I think the reason that he carried out his ministry in such an atypical fashion was for himself. We very rarely think about Jesus doing things to better himself or to make his ministry better, but we forget that he was all God and all man. He went through similar battles that you and I faced. You know, Hebrews 4.15 puts a nice spin on it. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are without sin. we got to remember that Jesus lived 33 years approximately of his life. Right? A lot of us in here have been close to that. Think of everything you've gone through in the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your life. And then put Jesus in that same spot and realize that he was tempted in the same way that you were tempted. That he came face to face with so many of those things that crippled you, but he did not bow to him. And we've got to remember that Jesus was surrounded by a people and a culture that each had its own ideas of how one should live. So think about Jesus' family, friends, disciples, and the overall Jewish culture would have been continually trying to influence his thoughts and actions. Think about the way his mom must have been like, Jesus, I really wish that you would have. Right? Or his brother's like, Jesus, are you really wanting to do this? Why did you leave this town? Or his disciples, we, we can see his disciples being like, what are you doing? Why are you talking about death? Why are you talking about you going to the cross? This is ridiculous. He's being bombarded on all sides by people trying to influence the way he acts. And once he got famous, this would have increased dramatically. You know, And the beauty of what we see here in Jesus' life to fight against the constant bombardment of people's desires and influences, he keeps pulling away. Three different verses, Mark 1.35. Again, these are all just accounts of Jesus and how he lived. In the morning, while it was still dark, he got up early and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. But now, more than ever, the word of Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear and be cured of their diseases. Getting famous. But he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. Now during those days he went out to the mountain to pray and he spent the night in prayer to God. You know, we we just get like two and a half, three years of Jesus' life recorded in these documents. You've got to think about how often in the first 30 years of his life he was doing this. Just continually going to places deserted from others in times when other people wouldn't be around so he could seek God. It was during these times that Jesus was able to center himself on his Father, on God and his desires for Jesus' thoughts, words, and actions. This may be sounding silly to you. Why would Jesus need influence on these things? But I'm just saying he was all God and all man. And the more we read and the more we study, we realize that he had the same struggle and actions that, or same struggle and similar influences that we had he just approached it so differently you know and you you start to see it even from his own words that this is why this is how he approaches ministry in John 530 he says I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me Then Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Now, it's important. Jesus was not a puppet. He was not a divine being floating around, unable to touch the ground. He was a person full of human traits like you and I, who had the choice of who he was going to trust. His Father, the Almighty Creator of things, or those around him. His choice seems to have been clear. To pull away into the stillness in order to realign his mind and his emotions with his father. All right, so now application. You know, the application for us on this is quite obvious. Really, if you took any time to think about this, you would find yourself in a similar boat. We are surrounded by countless influences. Countless. From our family and our friends, which hopefully are good, to our culture through TV, movies, movies, Music, magazines, strangers, politicians, our minds and our emotions are continually being directed and redirected by those we listen to, both good and bad. You guys thinking of people that you listen to that influence your choices today, last year, five years ago, hopefully good? On a moment-by-moment basis, we are answering the question, who am I going to trust? Not just for safety, not just to trust for our safety and protection eternally, but we also got to bring it to this moment. It's also just who do we trust to show us how to live our lives? Parents, spouses, friends, bosses, pastors, teachers, drinking buddies, presidential candidates, Facebook, Hollywood, all influences on our on our minds, on our decisions, or am I going to trust my creator? The one who breathed life into me for this moment, who put blood in my veins that allow thoughts to be in my brain. You know, a major way to determine your answer of who you trust is to see where your time is being spent. So here's some questions. How often do you bounce ideas off the ones in your life that you love? How often do you go to pastors and teachers for counsel, whether in person or on some podcast? How often do you simply use your logic and experience to figure things out? I imagine that one probably has a lot of tick marks next to it. How much time do you spend perusing Facebook and Instagram? Again, you just do it for entertainment, but you've got to realize you're being influenced by what you're seeing and the thoughts that it invokes into your mind. How many movies do you watch, how many hours do you spend in front of TV. Not that these things are bad. We just have to realize that this, where we place our time so often shows us where we're being influenced and who we're being influenced by. So the other side of it is how often do you retreat? into the silence to seek God's desires for your day, today? How long did you spend in a silent setting seeking God's desires for today? How often do you take a moment in the busyness of life to ask God for his wisdom? Five seconds in between a three-year-old that's making you want to flip out to say, God, how do I handle this? or a boss, or a scary financial situation, or a tough decision, how often do we take a moment to say, God, you created me, you know, everything that will roll out from this, how should I react? How much time do you spend in the Bible meditating on ageless truth? You know, over the last four or five years, um, I've gotten the chance to really dig into the Bible and its apologetics to, to really see why So many people put so much faith into this book. It's crazy how much proof there is that this is the end all for wisdom. Just one area after another after another says, the Bible has to be something bigger than just a book of stories. So how much time do you spend meditating on what's in it? You know, where we place our time shows us what our priorities are. Please remember that. Where we place our time is, shows us where, what our priorities are. And I'm not just talking about our daily routine, right? Like work, I don't like my job, but I have to put eight hours in it. Right? I'm talking bigger things like our mental focus. Your mind is free to go where you want it to go whenever you want it to go there. So where do you put the time of your thoughts? Where does your mind go where does your mind tend to go when making decisions both big and small? Your own logic? Your parents' logic? Your wife? Where do, you, where do your thoughts go when your emotions rage within you? Where do happiness, sadness, excitement, and worry lead your mind? I guarantee they lead it somewhere. Do they lead it to your own logic, to the logic of others, to buying things you want? Medicating with things that make you feel good? Or do you choose like Jesus did to continually bring your time and your thoughts before the one that knows all things past, present, and future? You know, to clarify this a little more, you may, like me, have trouble believing that we have the same opportunity to connect with and hear from God as Jesus did. Right? Jesus is this altogether set-apart being, which he is. And therefore, he must have had some sort of you know, radar love between him and God that he could just hear him whenever he wanted. It didn't matter what he was doing. You know, Jesus was a son of God, and he was filled directly with God's Spirit. Surely his ability to commune with God was far greater than ours. Let's go back to Galatians 4, 4-6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son born of a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who are under the law so that way we might receive adoption as children. You're children of God. And because you are children of God, because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into the hearts crying, Abba, Father. Did you guys catch that? The reality of what occurs within a person's life when they decide to believe the truth of the Bible is very similar to what Jesus experienced during his time on earth. We are adopted as children of God and we are given his spirit. Please understand the incredible nature of these statements. Both of these mean that we have been reconciled to our creator, children, Therefore, the barriers of separation have been removed, and we can openly approach the throne of the one who created everything. We can come before him without fear, without shame, but just knowing that we are his son, his daughter, his children, upon whom he loves incredibly. And that we have been given direct access to his wisdom, capital W, his spirit. The third in the the Trinity, the one who was there when he created everything. When you believe in what the Bible says, he comes and fills you. You We don't have time to get into it, but in the really obnoxious colored handout in front of you that my dad chose, there's some verses that will help you unpack and go deeper into what I'm talking about. About what happens with us being adopted. What happens with the Spirit and why he is there. Right? Take some time, look into it. Don't listen to me. Listen to the word of God and see what you have been given. You know, unlike Jesus, I'm not, please don't misread me in saying that, in thinking that I'm saying that we can become like Jesus, that we can accomplish what he accomplished. That's you know, Jesus was the pivot point for all time. Since the fall, everything was building up to his arrival and everything he accomplished, and after it, everything is simply waiting for him to return. He is the end all for everything we need in this world. So please don't hear that. You know, we still battle against our faulty belief systems and fleshly patterns. However, please hear, we have the same opportunity that Jesus did to rely upon the almighty maker of heaven and earth for every moment we face in this life. Every moment. Whether it's hardship, or the beauty of children, everything in between, we have the ability to intimately connect to the one who made all those moments and will continue to make each moment after it in the same way Jesus did. All right. So just to give you something to think about as we end, the hinging point of your life is who are you going to trust? the hinging point of your life, who am I going to trust? Please don't just hear the eternal state of your soul. That's obviously a major one. But also understand that the hinging point on how much of an abundant life you can receive comes down to how you answer this question. Who am I going to trust? Where you place your time and your thoughts will determine how abundant of a life you have. You know, as these guys come up to saying a little bit, I want to end with the last verse, Josh, if you wouldn't mind. This is how David put it in Psalms 25. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his ways. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenants and his decree. Who are they that fear the Lord? He will teach them the way that they should choose. Understand the choice that is in front of you right here in this moment. God desires to teach you how to live. He desires to show you the best way to go. It just comes down to your willingness to approach Him and to trust in what He says. And we have a chance, an opportunity to do some communion Um As you do this, if you choose to do this, I just encourage you to meditate upon these verses, to think about what the Spirit's been telling you over the last 20 minutes. Take a moment in silence to reflect on the biggest choice you'll ever make, and you make it again and again and again. Who are you going to trust?